Oh, thank you. Thank you for standing, my gosh. Amazing. Amazing. Thanks for that intro, Mike. <laughs> no, I can't blow it. I can't blow it. But I got a funny story for you. Any time that I think that I'm like something or something goes to my head, the Lord has a great way of reminding me that I'm nothing. I, uh, I spoke at a fairly influential church, and um, the week before I was there, Dr. Michael Brown was there. Some of you may know who he is. And so on the screen of this church, in front of thousands of people, it said, next week, Rabbi Volk is coming. <laughs> so nobody ever called me Rabbi Volk, but I, I think they wanted to just maybe honor me because of my heritage. And anyway, so Dr. Brown texts me. He goes, bro, you're not going to believe this. You just got introduced as Rabbi Volk. When I got the itinerary from the director of the church with regard to the, um, the schedule while I was there, it said, Dear Rabbit Volk. <laughs> so the, the, um, the computer obviously auto-corrected it. So I went from rabbi to rabbit. On Sunday, while I was speaking there, my wife got flowers from the church. Dear Beth, thanks for letting Rabbit come and speak to us. So, dude, thank you, Mike Dow, for that amazing introduction of the rabbit. <laughs> um, I've got a word for you that I want to give to you. I want to, I, I feel like it, I just want to just give it. I, I, I want to ask, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis once said, if I had more time, this letter would be shorter. <laughs> because sometimes I feel like, like I've got three messages in one here. But I feel like God's going to give grace to articulate it in a way that will, um, that will be precise. And I need his help for that. So, Lord, I thank you for this gathering. And I pray, Lord, that uh, we'll, ne we'll never get this day back. We'll never get this day back. So, Sunday, January 28th, may you be glorified in a special way here at Habitation. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, open to Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. Uh, we have a very interesting problem for those of us who are over 50 we don't understand the lingo of our teenagers. They'll say words that absolutely make no sense to us. My kids will send me texts with a one-word answer, and I'll go, like, my, my daughter, 14 years old, used the word snack in a way I've never heard before. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I still don't even remember how she used it, but to me, a snack is something you eat, Anybody, is, what does snack mean today? Good looking? I'm looking edible? Oh, <laughs> okay. She didn't say that to me, but 
but thank you for complimenting me. I love that. There's a bunch of words that don't mean anything like what they meant when I was younger. You know all the definitions? (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's like snack. I'm like, talk my language. I don't understand what you're saying. I think we need to recover biblical words so that they mean what they meant when they were spoken. Words that never change. Words like apostle. Apostle isn't somebody that has a business card that says apostle on it. They're not, it's like, like, oh, um, I am apostle so-and-so or evangelist so-and-so or pastor so-and-so. We've got people who are pastors with a title of pastor, but have no desire to shepherd sheep. (laughs) How can they be called a pastor? Well, because they stand in front of a church every Sunday and give a message. So we call them pastors, so the word that we use, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not dissing people who are called pastors, but many people are called pastors without the gifting of a pastor on their life. So I met with one pastor in, in Charlotte, and um, I, I was in the car with him, fairly well-known dude, and I said, bro, do you, do you think you're a pastor? And he goes, no. But he was occupying a place where people called him pastor. So our, our, our terminology changes. So for many people, maybe some people who would use snack in this room, the pastor is somebody who stands up in front of a church and preaches. That's not what a pastor is. In the Bible, the pastor is a shepherd. The pastor is one who gathers sheep, who cares for and loves and gives his life for the sheep. That might move some people in, uh, it might mess with some people's heads. We use the word church in an entirely different way than it was intended. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he wasn't talking about a building that you go to every week. Do you understand that? We're not, we're not going to church. We are the church. Everywhere in the Bible where the word church was used, it meant a called out people. A people who were called out, ecclesia or ecclesia, the called out ones. So we, our, our terminology today, sometimes I wonder if, you know, my, my, my child says snack and I'm like, whoa, what does that mean? I wonder what God does when we say church. It's like, hold on, what are you talking about? So today, I want to talk about three characteristics that marked the first church. You know, if you want to see the purest form of what something is intended to be, look at the first. There's a, there's a, a theological term, and I'm no theologian, so don't be impressed. It talks about the law of first mention. Like the first time worship is used in the Bible is like the purest form of worship. And interestingly, it had nothing to do with instruments or microphones or even singing. But what have we made worship today? Church. Jesus said in Matthew, I will build my church. And today, I want to ask you habitation Will you be the church? Now, 
Listen, I know I'm preaching to the choir, many of you. I, you could preach this better than I, but I feel like I want to give you three characteristics of the early church, talk briefly about each one by God's grace, and then just commit ourselves to a challenge that the Lord would give us. Three characteristics that mark the early church. Supernatural unity, irresistible hospitality, radical generosity. If you look in Acts 2 and Acts 4, which we're going to get to in a second, those three are there. But I want to start in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, listen to this, to him be glory in the church. To him be glory in the church. The Lord desires his glory to be revealed in the church, which has nothing to do with in a building. To him be glory in you, Interestingly, and then it says, and in Christ Jesus to all generations. Therefore, therefore is a word that is there for a reason. If God is going to be glorified in the church, therefore, this is what we're called to do. I, Paul, therefore, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling whereby you've been called. If we're going to use the word church as it's supposed to be, Paul is saying, then walk in a manner worthy by which you've been called. And by the way, <laughs> you can be a worthy church person or you can walk in an unworthy manner. I'm reminded of a story of a, um, <laughs> a football team that had a star player on the team after the game. He played for the Oregon Ducks years ago. Football players, they were walking off the field. He takes his helmet off, and he walks over to somebody on the opposing team. All of this was caught on camera. And he takes his fist, and he cold cocks the guy from the other team. It was plastered all over television, Sports Center, CNN. That, that video went viral. The next day, the coach of the team talked about his star player. And he said, so-and-so is no longer on our team because he's not worthy to wear the jersey. If you're going to put on the jersey of this team... You're going to walk in a manner worthy of wearing that jersey. And when you wear this jersey, you behave a certain way. How many of us are wearing the jersey of Jesus, the church, and not acting like it? You ever, you ever get a, a car uh, driving by you, maybe with their middle finger extended, honking, and then on the back bumper, you see, uh, uh, honk if you love Jesus. It's like, dude, don't give me the honk if you love Jesus as you're, as you're driving by me, flipping me off. 
You're not worthy to have that bumper sticker on. You're not living like you should have that on. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. Now listen to this. What does that look like? (laughs) Verse 2, Ephesians 4. All humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. And then here's the kicker verse. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Will you be supernaturally unified and diligently preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? Some versions say this, make every effort to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Listen closely, habitation. Unity attracts God. You want to see where God desires to be? Show him unity. Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. There God commands the blessing, life forevermore. Unity. Think about this. Genesis chapter 11. There was a godless mob that was building a tower. Babel. Remember the tower? In Genesis 11, you can look it up. God says, we've got to go down. We've got to go down because nothing that they choose to do will be impossible for them. Sometimes in our church services, you'll hear people praying, Lord, come down, come down. Well, nobody was praying for God to come down. He came down because he saw unity, but it was godless unity. And he had to disperse it. Right? All these people start speaking in other languages. Nobody understands each other. Babble, 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 and God loves unity. And God recognizes that demonic unity is something that is powerful. You've got demonic unity, and you've got godly unity. And here in Ephesians, it says, make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I don't know how many people are in this room, and then there are some who aren't here today. If we are going to be the church, we're going to make an effort where unity is concerned. And why did I say that one thing that marked the early church was supernatural unity? Because Jesus had to pray for it for us. <laughs> yeah. You should take note of what Jesus prays for. And if he prays, For us, John 17, Father, make them one, even as you and I are one. Why? So that the world will know you sent me. Listen, the greatest demonstration to the authenticity of Jesus being king is the unity of the spirit among the brothers and sisters that gather together. I was thinking as I was sitting back there about how my children were younger, and I as the father of the house, we would all have our dinners together every night. But if more, if two kids, I have five, uh, back in those days I had four, but when I was 44, God surprised me, thank you so much. She's 14 now. <laughs> but when we had just four, if two kids came to the table, 
and they were at odds with each other, we did not start eating. We simply did not start eating because there's something sacred about breaking bread together. Beth and I were not going to let our kids who weren't talking to each other partake in a meal until we got that thing resolved. What does Jesus say in Matthew? I think it's five or six. He says, if you're showing up, this is Scott Volk version. You can look it up in the actual version. If you're showing up at church and you're presenting your gift at the altar, but there you remember that your brother has ought against you. Not that you have something, not that you have an issue with a brother, but that your brother or your sister has something against you. Drop off the gift. Just stop. Stop your worship. Stop your giving and go make it right. And then come back and offer your gift. Whoa, what if every church decided to do that? <laughs> right before the offering was taken, if, 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 if anybody here remembers that somebody has something against you, forget raising your hands in worship. The Lord loves that, but not if you have something against your brother. He cares more about unity than he does uh, as, an, as he does as much as outward worship. How can we worship God who we don't see when we can't love our brother who we do see? Make every effort. You know, uh, <laughs> Sometimes effort is bad, human work, but I'm telling you, there's an effort that God is inviting you to partake of today, where your brothers and sisters in this uh, family is concerned. Don't show up at the table. Don't show up at the table, because if I as an earthly father felt that way, broken, because my kids aren't getting along, how much more does it hurt the heart of God when he looks down and he sees his children with awe against each other. Maybe the Lord is just even highlighting somebody. Can I encourage you? Make it right even if they don't deserve it. Even if it benefits you nothing in the natural. Go to the person. Humble yourselves. This is what Ephesians 4 says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit. Why? Because there's one body. Everybody say one. There's one spirit. Just as you have also been called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Sometimes we're making every effort to keep people away from us. Sometimes we're making every effort to not have anything to do with somebody who's hurt us when maybe the Lord is looking for you to demonstrate his life to someone who doesn't deserve it and humbly go in a spirit of humility and make it right. Then come back, offer your worship, offer your praise. Our church buildings would be empty if everybody <laughs> took, took this to heart. But we're not called to show up in a building. We're called to be the church. Yes, go to a building. Corporate worship is wonderful. That, that they, they did it in the early church. They met in Solomon's portico, big groups, 3,000 saved. And then they went from house to house. The first thing that marks the early church is a supernatural unity. So habitation, will you diligently preserve the unity of the spirit? 
will you choose to not have dinner together if there's aught among you? God is looking. God delights in that. Uh, There's too many stories I can tell. I'm not going to do it. Um, First one, supernatural unity. Second one, radical generosity. You know, it's really easy to be generous to somebody who you think is going to repay your generosity with some generosity. That's pretty good. I'm going to be generous to John so that maybe he'll offer me a good Italian pizza for free. I'm going to be generous to Steve because maybe he'll get me tickets to the Orlando Magic game if you had them. That's, that's human generosity. Radical generosity is being generous to people who can give you nothing back in return. Which actually is also a fruit of radical hospitality. Hospitality is great. You can show hospitality to people you love all the time. But showing hospitality to strangers who might have nothing to offer you back in return. That's biblical hospitality. Biblical generosity, giving when it costs you something without expecting anything in return. But can I just tell you something? Anytime you give without expecting anything in return, God blesses you. You, you, can't, you can't put a price tag on what God does when you follow simply his word. Radical generosity, Acts chapter 2. I'm going to try to fly through these. Stick with me. Acts 2. So then those who had received his word were baptized. That day there were added 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone, every single one kept feeling a sense of awe. Imagine being together and having this sense of awe. By the way, the word awesome has been way overused. Everything's awesome. No, it's not. Awe, a sense of awe. Why? Because God was moving. Everyone had a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And listen to this. All those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions, were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. My dad was a very, very successful stockbroker. On Wall Street, he gets supernaturally saved in the mid-1970s, early 1970s, 1974. His parents, Orthodox Jews. My mom's parents, conservative Jews. My parents raised Jewish. My dad bows his knee to Jesus as king in 1974. In the summer of 1975, we visit a community in northern Minnesota And the Lord sovereignly calls our family to sell everything that we had and move from beautiful New England, we lived in actually Connecticut, to northern Minnesota, where you don't open the doors in January. We lived in a trailer 
12 feet wide, 68 feet long. You had to put plastic on the windows before winter happened because the windows on the trailer would be thick ice cubes. You, you, you don't see out the windows of trailers in Minnesota, not from, oh, early November until early March. It's just ice. We, we would go outside. We've done this. We, you take a boiling pot of water and you throw it up in the air and before it comes down, it's all, it's all mist. That's how cold it was. But we lived all things common. We had our own house, but when we got there, my dad had a brand new Buick Electra. I don't even know if they make Buick Electras anymore, but it was a brand new car that he bought the year before because he had a great year. We get up to the community where we were trying to live according to the book of Acts. And there was one person who was in charge of the cars. So when we got there, my dad took his keys, gave it to Mark, Mark Lairfeld, the guy who took care of the cars. The next day, we're just opening our trailer. We're getting all moved in. And my dad's car goes by. My dad's like, hey, who's in my car? Not his car anymore. Belonged to the community because we lived all things in common. When I'm, God's not, by the way, don't, don't, don't freak out. That's not what God's asking habitation to do. Or maybe he is, but not through me. <laughs> that, that stinks for those of us who have really nice cars. It's great news for those of us who don't have any. <laughs> it's like, wait, woo, woo, woo. <clears throat> they lived all things common. And you know what? Nobody had a need. Why? Because everybody thought that what they had was not their own. How great would it be to, the, to see that kind of demonstration today? Brother, you need something? I got it. There you go. And no strings attached. That's called covenant family. Radical generosity. Acts chapter 4. Listen to this. The congregation, Acts 4.32. The congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. By the way, there's unity. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. Are you guys listening to this? I mean, if we're going to use the word church, let's, let's understand what it means. The congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul... Not one of them claimed anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of Jesus, and abundant grace was on them all. Listen closely. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them, and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed as anyone had a need. Oh, no wonder people want the word apostle on their business cards. Come lay your offering at my feet. Can I just tell you something? True apostles, you can trust. True apostles and people who are builders and building community and functioning apostolically, they're worthy, God is the only one worthy, but they're the ones who the Lord has chosen to trust. The body to trust the foundation of the church is built upon the apostles and the prophets. If you guys have had Bob Gladstone once, you've probably heard that ten times. 
laying their sails at the apostles' feet? And then the apostles distributing it to everyone as they might have a need? Can I tell you why people have stopped giving in churches, church buildings? Because they don't trust the people with the money. Well, if they were striving to be in unity with each other, don't you think they would trust people? Yeah, but churches, 21st century churches, many of them don't operate that way. You've got, you've got a CEO and you've got a business structure without relationships. And for those of us who really believe that the Lord is calling us into greater community with each other, we've got to start going after the unity so that we can go after the generosity. True generosity, friends, is not how much you give. True generosity is the heart in which you give it. Because you can give a lot of money like Ananias and Sapphira did and still be missing the heart of God. Or you can give your one uh, shekel. Is it shekel? Mite. Wid widow's mite. You can give one mite and be remembered throughout history. Because man looks at the outward, God looks at the heart. Friends, I want to encourage you. It, I don't think it's an accident that I came in the, la where the last time you were gathered, you talked about finances. And then this morning, Mike, just bringing that up. <laughs> I've got friends who have house church networks. And I, I try to encourage them all with this question. Are people giving? And I'll just say one characteristic of many, many house churches uh, house, house church movements is that many people give, but many people don't lay them at the apostles' feet. When I'm not saying, oh, Mike sits up here in his big high throne and we're just throwing our shekels before him, apostle. No. But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, many people who've come out of churches that might have an um, institutional looking grid say this, if they did it there, we're not doing it here. During the Reformation, Martin Luther in the 1500s, they broke away from the Catholic Church. So, so what determined what they were going to do? Well, if they did it in the Catholic Church, we're not doing it here. But what if some things in the Catholic Church were biblical? I, I, I just have some, some scriptures for you with regard to giving. <clears throat> Look at this, 2 Corinthians 8. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty, these were not rich people, overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, listen to this, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation to support the saints. How many of you have ever seen people begging you to give to you? They, they begged, please, please let me help. Let me empty my pockets. I so believe in, what, in what's going on. I, please, no, 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 you can't help. No, 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 I'm begging, please. There's like an urgency to give, 
as opposed to a resistance to give. That marked the early church because they saw something more meaningful than just showing up in a building. They saw what life together was. Let, please let me give. You know, sometimes, sometimes urgency is needed. We're going to talk about hospitality in a second, then we're going to bring this to a close. I want to exhort you. If you feel in your heart that you haven't been diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit, I just want to exhort you. Ask the Lord, Father, can you help me? <laughs> this is a weak area for me. Can you help me? I desire to go even to that person who doesn't deserve it, who spe they've spewn ridicule my way. I'm going to go and I'm going to do everything I can to make it right. It might not be right when you're done, but you've done everything in your heart to make it right. God is pleased with that. If you feel like you've not been radically generous. I just want to, I just don't, don't let, you know, don't hear the whisper, oh, you're a low life believer. Don't even call yourself a Christian. Take the jersey off. You know, no, no, no. That would be what the devil would do. But what the Lord would do is say, Father, if I've missed, if I've missed the ability to look for ways to give, help me. Help me. Look at this, Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns would be filled with plenty. I do a podcast every week. It goes from Genesis 1 to the end of Deuteronomy, 52 weeks. It's based on the scriptures that are being read in synagogues around the world. I encourage you, you can find us. It's called Portions Podcast. I know some of you listen and it really, really blesses me. But I just recorded four before leaving. And one of the ones I recorded was from Exodus, where God tells Moses to raise an offering for the sanctuary in the wilderness, the tabernacle. Let me just, let me just read this to you. Exodus 25.1. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites... To bring me an offering. And by the way, if this happened today, and I said the Lord wants habitation or celebration or whatever, then together, I want you to give an offering. My, if I'm sitting there, my disposition is going to be, oh, this is, this is like some manipulative way to get money. Think about the children of Israel who've been in bondage for 400 plus years. They're finally in the wilderness, and now Moses is asking them for money? <laughs> The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You're, you are to receive the offering from me from everyone whose hearts prompt them to give. If it's not in your heart, don't give. But if it's not in your heart, Scott Volk, ask the Lord why it's not in your heart. Because something's wrong. Offering from everyone whose hearts to give. These are the offerings you're to receive from them. This is God speaking. Gold, silver, Bronze. Well, if we have gold, silver, or bronze, and we have some scrap wood, some of us might want to give the scrap wood. That would be my first thing. It's like gold, silver, bronze. Gosh, <laughs> this, is like, this is like all I have to Gold, silver, bronze. So they did it. And what was it for? 
It was for the house of the Lord. Why? So that God's glory could be seen in their region through the tabernacle. And do you know what happened? Exodus 36, 5. Listen to this. They said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord commanded us to perform. So Moses issued a command. This is great. And circulated the command throughout the camp saying, let no man or woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. And then look at this. The people were restrained from giving anymore. Can you imagine going to a church where people restrained other people from giving and offering? We, we would kick them out of the church. What? You're not going to let them give money. What are you talking about? You know what happens from generous hearts? Exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all you can ask or think. That's who God is. He desires to give you exceedingly, abundantly, beyond so I want to encourage you, be the church. Diligently preserve the unity of the spirit. Be radically generous. If, if, if you believe in what your local expression is called to be, don't withhold the blessing that God wants to give you by withholding your generosity. Make sense? Yeah. Be, final point, and I am going to make this point five minutes long. Five minutes. You guys ready for five minutes? Irresistible hospitality. Many years ago, I spoke to a, a small group. Gosh, how many years ago was that, bro? About hospitality. I mean, 2017. Okay, so that was six years ago. So um, I'm actually writing a book right now on hospitality, and I am blown away. Let me give you the definition of hospitality. Hospitality, this is a biblical definition, is treating strangers as honored guests. Biblical hospitality doesn't mean just open your house up to people you like. Biblical hospitality is treating strangers like honored guests. And why do I say irresistible hospitality? Because of this. God may send some people your way who you offer hospitality to, but they reject your offer. How will you respond? Remember where the generosity was? They, 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 they begged, please, they urged, please, we want to give. There's an urgency where hospitality is concerned. Anywhere that you see hospitality in scripture, you see life. Genesis chapter 19, it's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot was in his home. Two men, two men who happened to be angels were walking down the road that Lot saw in the square. There's no possible way that Lot could have known they were angels. They, they, they didn't have halos. They didn't have wings. They didn't just kind of fly in in a Christmas service. They were men walking. The Bible says, be careful to show hospitality to strangers, lest you entertain angels unaware. These two guys were strangers. You know what happened? Lot said, please come into my house. They said, no, we're going to be going this way. And then it says, Lot urged them 
to stay. Read it, Genesis 19. He urged them, please, please, let me do this for you. The two guys who happened to be angels come into the house and Lot and his family were saved. What if they said, uh, no, we're gonna go down and stay somewhere else. You know what it would be today like if it were I? Beth, I offered, they said, no, whew, we just dodged a bullet. <laughs> and I'm sorry, we've done that. We, we, had a, we had a missions conference at our church where I was pastoring. A family with many kids were coming into town. And I was like, honey, I think we're supposed to invite them over. And she goes, well, if you feel it, then do it. But I was like, oh, please, please, when I call, tell me you've already found a place to stay. And I said, hey, we heard you guys are coming into town with all your young kids who get my carpet all messed up. I didn't say that. But I'd love for you, I'd love, we'd love to have you at our house. Oh, thank you so much for the offer, so-and-so offered. I hung up, I did a little dance, honey, we did our duty. We invited them to come over. But what if I would have urged them? What if I would have said, please, 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 listen. I love those guys, they're great people. We want you in our house. What kind of blessings did we possibly miss out on? Lot and his family were saved. How about the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings? Elisha's walking by. The Shunammite woman, where is it? 2 Kings, I don't even know, chapter. I don't have it written down. I don't know, 6, 7, somewhere in there. The Shunammite woman perceives that Elisha may be a prophet. So she goes to her husband. and Oh, no, she goes and says, come eat with us. It says, she urged him. There's an urgency where husband, she urged him, please come eat with us. So he came in and eat after she urged irresistible hospitality. <clears throat> and then they built a room for them, for the, for the prophet. So anytime the prophet was coming through town, they stayed, he stayed at the Shunammite woman's house. And finally, the prophet's servant goes to the Shunammite woman and says, listen, you've been so gracious to us. What can we do for you? Can I, can I introduce you to the king? The president, you know, Mr. So-and-so, I'll do anything. What can I do for you? She said, no, nothing. So the servant of Elisha goes back and said, no, but I know she doesn't have a child. So Elisha says to the servant or directly to the woman, you tell her this time next year, you will have a son. Interestingly, there's two places in scripture where this time next year is used. Second Kings 6 and Genesis 18, when Sarah, who was barren for 89 years of her life, and, and Abraham, whose body was as good as dead, according to Romans 4, believing God all their lives for the promised child, three angels show up at Abraham's tent, and he's 99 in the heat of day, like uh, Orlando on steroids in the desert, in the heat of day. And you know what this 99-year-old dude does? Read Genesis 18. He runs. <laughs> I'm having a hard time running at 59 in air conditioning. He runs. He gets a calf. He runs to Sarah. Fix, fix some bread. He goes. He's, he's, he's moving around, and he serves these men who were angels. And you know what happens? They say this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Radical radical generosity, irresistible, irresistible hospitality. And I told myself before I stood up here that I was going to be done by one o'clock and I'm going to be done. I just need three more minutes. 
<laughs> it's not one yet. It's actually six minutes to one, so I'm going to be done three minutes early. How happy are you? I want you to stand with me, and I want to encourage you. There's so much more that we can talk about. Maybe we will another time. But habitation was not meant to be a 21st century, quote, unquote, church. Habitation is called to be a gathering of called out children of God through whom God's glory will come. Ephesians 3, to him be glory in the church. <laughs> in the church. Friends, you are the church. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, then I say jump in and become part of the family. There, there are leaders here. You've seen them up front. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus as king, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. But I want to encourage you. God desires for his glory to be seen as you gather together, whether it's in this ballroom, whether it's at a coffee shop, whether it's in homes. That's what shakes cities. That's what brings awe. Great awe was among them. They had expectation of God moving beyond what they could have ever asked or thought. So I just want to invite you to lift your hands with me. It's, it's, a, it's a biblical posture of prayer. <laughs> Talks about hands being lifted. So I just, I, I just ask you to lift your hands up for a minute. And I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, <laughs> Lord, the, the head of the church, we who are part of his body, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to represent you in our communities, in our households, you who gives without, with, with, with abundance. Lord, if you gave us everything that you could give us, we'd explode. We couldn't contain it. You're a giver. You're a generous God. You're a hospitable God who, who welcomed us while we were yet sinners. You gave yourself. You're a God of unity. You are one. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one. I pray, Lord, that there would be a supernatural oneness that would be, uh, <laughs> that habitation would be jealous for beyond anything that they've ever known. Lord, that, that, that there'd be no gossip, no, no slander, no, no splits, no, no broken relationships. Lord, that we would diligently preserve and make every effort for the unity of the Spirit. Lord, I pray for supernatural testimonies for people, Lord, as they give, Lord, as they, as they lay the first fruits of their labors before you, Lord, without, without any, um, any desire to see money go to any particular place, but trusting, Lord, even as the early church trusted the apostles, the, the ones who were called to plant churches, Lord, may we see that today in America, may we see it in habitation, 
Father, may we be irresistibly hospitable. I thank you for the testimonies of hospitality in this congregation. Lord, as we meet in our homes, Lord, give, give, us, give us the ability to be, to be irresistible to our neighbors. To cause them to come in, that they would experience life. Lord, that growth wouldn't be uh, something that you read a book, how your church can grow, but growth would come organically. Even as it came, Lord, as, as people were living, Lord, letting go of possessions and grabbing hold of relationships. May that be you, Lord. May that be the testimony of Habitation Church, Lord. Thank you for, uh, for this place, for these precious faces some of whom I've known for years and who mean so much to me, some of whom I've never met, but you, Lord, you brought them here to be a demonstration of your kingdom family. <laughs> May our tables be filled with happy families and dwelling together in unity. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. There you, Lord, command the blessing, life, life forevermore. In the name of Jesus, our King, amen.